0: Welcome to the Lakeside Baptist Church Podcast. We pray you are blessed as you hear the Word of God today. For more information regarding Lakeside Baptist Church, please visit lakeside.asn.au. That's okay. Just turn around and uh, introduce, you to some, introduce yourself to someone you may not know. So turn around, and say hello, give someone a wave. A bit of connection there is always good. Even if you have to move around, nothing wrong with that at all. All right. Good to be here. It is the school holidays, which is great, beautiful weather as well. I did notice uh, that photo of myself and, my, and the family. The kids have grown up a lot. Also, I was wearing a suit. Um, there's only two times I wear a suit, weddings and funerals. Um, I think that was a wedding, not a funeral. I don't think I'd fit in that suit anymore. Anyway. Uh, yeah, but looking forward to that celebration uh, on the 30th. How about I pray and we are going to jump into it. Most gracious Father, thank you uh, for today. Thank you that we can gather and uh, connect with each other, but also with you, Lord. I do pray now, though, as we come and stop and uh, spend a time looking at your word, reflecting, thinking that your, your Holy Spirit, your spirit that lives in us would just uh, really illuminate, um, light up what you want us to learn today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Quick quiz or quick question. Hands up if you are to, you're over one or the other. Uh, someone who listens to the GPS, as in when you're driving, to the point where you will follow that no matter where it's taking you. Or are you someone who thinks, no, I know a little bit better than the GPS and I'll go this way and get a shortcut. So hands up if you are follow the GPS no matter what. Okay, few, few, hands up if you, I know better than the GPS. <laughs> okay, now in this instance, uh, I'm going to share a few stories where the second lot of people would probably have come off better. Here's a picture of a, a, a lady who drove into uh, a golf, what do they call that, bunker, uh, because she was following the GPS. The GPS directed her onto the golf course for some reason and into the sand bunker, Uh, The police said that she might have spent too much time at the 19th hole. You get that joke? Yeah, anyway. Okay, this one here, another person stranded up a mountain. I think this was a delivery person. They literally, there's no way they could get that car or that van off the hill. They had to chopper it out of there uh, because this individual followed the the GPS. Apparently, that was a bike path. Started going down the bike path and uh, obviously couldn't turn around and uh, needed to be chopped out of there, this one here was a rented actually Mercedes. Uh, they drove this into a, a lake. Uh, they were driving down the boat ramp. It was late at night. They were thinking they're on the road, following the GPS. The GPS is there to look after us, straight down the boat ramp into the um, the lake, the river. Um, and then the third one, this was actually in Australia. Uh, tourists, Japanese tourists. Uh, Three students from Tokyo set out to drive to North Stradbroke Island on the Australian Coast Thursday morning and mapped out their path on the GPS system. Uh, The road looked clear because it was a low tide, but the map forgot to show the nine miles of water and mud between the island and the mainland, and that's how Hyundai gets uh, they probably could have picked that thing up, actually, and carried it away, but they couldn't. Um, so, so if you're a GPS follower, sometimes it's good to go with your own instincts. Other times, it's better to uh, maybe stay with the GPS. You always think you can go quicker without the GPS, don't you? Uh, but it always comes back to bite you, I find. Either way, the question is, who are you following? Who are you following? We are following someone or Something. We're always following someone or something. It might even be ourselves. We think we can lead ourselves. It might be the GPS. It may be, it may be a faith in something or in God. It may be Jesus. It may be a faith in, in someone else, our political system, our leaders. We are following something or someone. Who are you following? And so this morning we are, like Braden said, starting a new series, Follow Me, the words of Jesus where he says, Follow Me. And we're going to spend literally the next four Sundays in this passage. There's only three verses in this passage. And we're going to look at different aspects and different angles of this famous, famous passage, which if you've been in church for some time, you'll know this passage back to front. um, And you'll know what it means and you've probably heard numerous sermons on it. So we're going to spend four weeks and I'm going to hopefully... Try to bring some different aspects to this passage. Now, I was listening to... Uh, I was in, involved in a Bible study group by a lady uh, named Helen Bates. And, and she kind of opened this passage up. And said so a lot of the stuff I've been reflecting on it has come from her teaching. Uh, but it's, it's a well-known passage. We're going to spend the next four weeks into it. We're going to focus on that one... Uh, th- three verses, that one passage every Sunday. Mark chapter 1, 16 to 18. And again, you probably know it. You probably know it off by heart. But these are the words of Jesus and it said this, as Jesus walked beside the sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I'll make you fishers of people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Let me read it one more time. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I'll make you fishers of people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Now, like I said, this is a really, really common passage. If you've been in church circles or Christian for a long time, you would have read this. You would have heard lots of sermons on this passage. The story is that Jesus is is walking along the Sea of Galilee. Now, at this point, Jesus has performed some miracles. He has a bit of a following, but this is the first recorded instance where he, he pulls or calls out his disciples. His disciples. Now, it's incredible when we look and we see the reaction of these guys, their, their reaction is to literally drop their nets and to actually follow Jesus. And, and we think, wow, they, these guys are so uh, obedient and they step out in faith and, and they trust Jesus, which they do. But there's also a pretty good chance they already knew Jesus. This wasn't probably their first meeting or encounter with Jesus. They probably had a conversation with Jesus or they'd been to some things that Jesus had been teaching. And and so they probably had already met Jesus. If you read a little bit further in this story, uh, there's also some other fishermen which he also calls to be uh, his disciples. And if you look at this encounter in Luke, Luke gives us a bit more description of this story, which we will a little bit further in the series. Uh, and, and actually, Luke actually says that Jesus tells them to go out with their nets a little bit further to a different spot and try fishing again. And they, they get this massive haul of fish and, and they're, they're blown away. But it's a great story of these guys who their whole identity, everything that they do, who they are, it it comes from, from their occupation. So think about it, they're fishermen, that's their security, their financial security. That's where they earn their money they're, they're, uh, to p- pay for different things, to, to be able to survive, to live. That's where they get food as well. They, I'm assuming they eat the fish and, and they sell the fish, but that's where they get their financial security, their stability to, to look after their kids, their wives, their, their family, their identity. Is it based in their occupation? Actually, even here in the Bible, it's, they're, they're described as their fishermen. That's who they are. What do you do? You're a fisherman. Their identity, their security, their their way of lives is is there. They're fishermen. That's who they are. That's what they do. It all revolves around that. Actually, a little bit further on from this story, Jesus calls another disciple, Matthew, who is, uh, anyone want to have a guess? Can they remember who Matthew was? He was a tax collector. And Jesus basically does the same thing. He says, hey, mate, come, follow me. And, and, and the same thing happens. Matthew, who's a tax collector, pushes through past his tax collecting booth and follows Jesus. But his identity would have been based in that. His security, how he earned his income, where he got his money to provide for his family. Who was he? He was a tax collector. That was his identity. All of that, his way of life. He was a tax collector. And so Jesus walks along the beach and he calls these guys to a new identity. He says, Come, follow me. Put everything on the line. Remove yourself. Come, follow me. And Jesus did this uh, lots of times, actually, if you read throughout the Gospels. There was one time where he said to a group of people that, that to follow Jesus, to follow him, is actually quite costly. And, and, and one person said, uh, Well, he said to a group of people, Follow me. And one person said, Actually, Jesus, I want to follow you, but before I do that, I need to go home and bury my father. And Jesus, quite it sounds quite insensitive, he says to him, well, let the dead bury themselves. And what this guy was actually saying to Jesus, his father wasn't like dead and he needed to bury him before he started smelling or anything like that. He, he, he was saying that uh, I, I need to wait for my father to you know, die. Then I get the inheritance and, and sell the property and do all that kind of stuff. And that could have been years away. His dad might be quite healthy, but he was basically saying, Jesus, once all this stuff is sorted, then I will come follow you. And straight after that, another person says, Jesus, I'll follow you, but just wait one second. I need to go back and tell my family and my friends that, 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 and say goodbye to them. And Jesus says, no. Once you put your hand to the machine, basically, you don't look back. You keep on going. So Jesus puts out the invitation, follow me, that it has to be a number one priority. And it's more than just that, because he's saying to these fishermen, this tax collector and all the disciples... That when you follow me, your identity is going to change. Your security is going to change. Your way of life is going to change. Your security is no longer in things but me. Your identity is no longer in things but me. Your way of life is going to look different because your way of life is going to look like me. I think Jesus asks us that same question every single day. Some 2,000 years on, he asked us, he asked you, he asked me the same question today, come follow me. Where are you putting your security? Where are you putting your identity? How are you living your life? What is your way of life? Is it like me? Is your identity in me? Is your security in me or is it in something else? A Bible scholar or lecturer by the name of T.B. Matson said this, he made this statement. And I think it's a true statement. He says, all the claims of Jesus Christ can be summed up in two words, follow me. He says, all the claims of Jesus, all the teachings of Jesus can be summed up in two words, follow me. And I think, I think he's true, what he's saying here. It's because at the essence, Jesus isn't saying, it's not about a head knowledge or information. It's actually about following who? Following Jesus. Now, sometimes when we think of follow, we, we, can, we can water that down like I follow the Fremantle Dockers or I follow, I actually go for, my team now is Geelong Cats, by the way, uh, or I follow something, I, I follow the stock market. I don't actually put any money in it, but I keep an eye on it. I follow I follow real estate. I've never bought anything, but I kind of follow it. That's not... Jesus. When, when Jesus says, follow me, it's actually to walk behind him, to observe, to hear, to listen, to become like. And that's what Jesus is, is saying. And, and I think this claim that all of Christ, what, all of the things that Christ said could be summed up in two words, follow me, because if we do follow him, then everything that he said and taught and, and did... We, we, we take on board. Again, he says the same thing to you and me today. Come, follow me. I'm not sure who said this, but, but I think it's really, really good. Each day is an opportunity for us to drop our nets and follow Jesus. That every single day we get to choose whether we, we, we drop our nets, drop our security, drop our identity, uh, drop the way we want to live our lives and follow Jesus or hold on to our nets. And choose not to follow Jesus. Following Jesus, putting trust in Him. Now when we look at this passage, that, that's the normal way we look at this passage. You know that Jesus says, follow me and we look and we think, wow these disciples, they, they had so much faith, they, had, they put so much trust, they just dropped everything, which they did. Which actually is quite radical and actually almost hard to believe that they would drop everything. It's like if uh, if Jesus came in and Anita was working at the timeout Cafe and she's making a flat white and Jesus says, come follow me. She leaves it, walks out and starts to follow Jesus. Well, if you're a mechanic, any mechanics here, you're working on a, on a, a Corolla and you're working hard away and then Jesus walks in and says, follow me. You drop your tools and you walk off. If you're teaching, maybe if you're a teacher, you've maybe one have done this before, where you feel like just leaving the, leaving the class. So just say Jesus called you out and you followed. You're teaching a group of students and Jesus walks past and says, follow me. You leave the class and you follow them. You're a pilot. You're flying an aeroplane. <laughs> no, we won't go that far. But you get the point. That's, that's, the, that's exactly what happened. We, t- we tend to brush over and think, well, wow, it's not a big deal. So, so the, the main thrust of this is this trust that these people have, that they believe Jesus so much that so they don't know what they're getting into, yet they're willing to step out and trust Jesus. 100% that's what this passage is definitely talking about. But I want to look at it from a slightly different angle as well. Because I think there's two sides to this coin. The first side of this coin in regards to this story is, yes, that we trust Jesus. The second side is also involving trust. You know, Jesus was a rabbi. And in those days, uh, to be a rabbi was kind of uh, in, in the nation of Israel, the people, the Jewish culture, that if you were a rabbi, you were, you were seen and, or held in high esteem a high status in, in, in the culture, and the, you're kind of the higher echelon of, of the, what it meant to be in that culture. And so a lot of young boys would strive to be rabbis, uh, girls couldn't be rabbis in that time, and, and, and even parents would love it if their, their son was a rabbi. But basically how it worked was, and Jesus was a rabbi, he was a teacher, a rabbi was someone who taught the, the religious scriptures, the, the, the following Jesus and what it meant to be the nation of Israel. And, and to be a, a, a good rabbi, you'd have lots of followers, almost like Facebook. An average follower, an average rabbi, you wouldn't have as many Facebook friends or, or followers. If you're a really popular, really good rabbi, you'd have lots of followers. And if you wanted to be a disciple to a rabbi, meaning someone like an apprentice, you would almost check out all the different rabbis, check out how they act, check out what they were teaching. And if there's something that you liked or what you liked about their teaching, then you would choose to be a disciple of that rabbi. You would follow that rabbi. It's almost like university today. Uh, there's so many universities you can almost pick. They're all fighting for students, aren't they? Um, not when you did TEE. Remember, anyone do their TEE? Those were the hard yards, weren't they? I'm oh, lucky I never did it. <laughs> but apparently they were hard because they were all... Comp- but now there's so many universities, it's almost flipped. The, the, the disciples, the, the student gets to almost pick um, where they get to go. And so, so then it was the disciple would choose which rabbi they would follow, but Jesus comes along, Jesus is different, Jesus is superior, Jesus is the saviour, Jesus is the rabbi of all rabbis, Jesus comes along and says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, these other rabbis were saying, this is the way, this is the truth, this is how you find life, Jesus says, this is, I am all of that, not that's how you get there, I am the way, I am the truth, I am all of those things. And Jesus does something quite different. Jesus goes along and actually picks his disciples. Jesus goes along and says, come follow me, come follow me, come follow me. None of the other rabbis did that. Jesus went and picked his disciples. And in fact, the places, the venues, the people that he picked were not the people that would normally get picked. In fact, most of them probably weren't smart enough or weren't good enough to be rabbis in the start. That's why they never went down that path. But now here comes Jesus, the rabbi of all rabbis. And he says, I want you on my team. And so what I want to suggest to you this morning, that actually there's there's two sides of the coin. The first side of the coin is that these disciples, after hearing Jesus say, come follow me, trust Jesus. But the other side of the coin is that Jesus trusted people. Jesus trusted people. That there's a confidence in Jesus' invitation. There was a confidence in Jesus' invitation. He goes up and he says, follow me. And it's like he's saying uh, that, that he believes in you. I believe in you. Simon, Peter, I believe in you, Andrew. Come, follow me. I know what's best for you. I know what you can become. There's a confidence in Jesus's invitation. Why? Jesus trusted people. And when you start to think about it, actually, you think, well, hang on a sec. Jesus knows everything. Everything. Jesus knew everything. Jesus knows everything about you and me, the person next to you, the person behind you. Jesus knew everything about Peter and Andrew. He knew everything about them, yet he still trusted them. Even knowing people with all their stuff, you could probably use another word more descriptive to to describe stuff, with all that junk in our own lives, he he knows that, yet he trusts us. He trusts people and and he trusts that those people would walk with him. I find that incredible. Yes, they trusted Jesus, but on the other side of the coin, Jesus trusted them because he invites them to come on this journey. Come, come, follow me. And in fact, when we look through the scriptures, we see this, that God trusts humans. God trusts humans. Mary, think about Mary. She was a poor, as in no money uh, poor peasant girl 14 15 16 if, if 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 you want to go the high end but probably more like 14 14 year old peasant girl God trusts her to take care of who Jesus I remember when we had our first child you needed a police clearance you needed to working with children full body suit. So, but but here's this peasant girl 14 year old God trusts her to to be the parent of Jesus to care for Jesus Esther, you know the story of Esther. This girl, this lady took a month to do her makeup. You know, that's how long, if you read the story, she'd spend a month doing her makeup. Yet God chooses her to do what? To stand up against the king, the superpower that was trying to destroy Israel, Mordecai. And she stood up for Israel, for the people of Israel, for Mordecai. Such is a time as this. God chose her. God trusted her. Abraham. God trusted Abraham. Did, did, did Abraham trust God? Yes and no. He, he, God said, I'm going I'm to make you a, a nation of many nations and bless you. And, 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 and they couldn't have children. So what does he do? He went and um, had a baby with his maid because he didn't trust God. But God trusted him. Father Abraham, God trusted Noah to build a big boat in the desert. God trusted Rehab, does anyone know about Rehab? Rehab was a Canaanite, so she wasn't from the people of Israel, and what was Rehab's occupation, anyone? Prostitute. So here's a Canaanite, not from the chosen people, who's a prostitute, God trusted her to to keep the, the spies a secret, to kind of harbour them so that they wouldn't be harmed. Can you see how God trusts people? Saul, who became poor, He killed Christians. Yet God trusts him to spread the gospel out into the new world, into the world, into the ends of the earth. Throughout the scriptures, here's my key point on the other side, throughout the scriptures and throughout church history, we see and hear uh, these trust stories where God puts his trust in humans knowing that we are not trustworthy. Isn't that crazy? God puts his trust in humans knowing that we are not trustworthy. I think that, that blows me away. Surely, God, there's a better way of doing things. But God puts his trust in us, regardless. Even knowing that sometimes we're going to drop the ball, we're going to stuff up, we're going to make mistakes. God trusts us. I think of my own story. kid from Kelmascott Um struggled through school, English was my fifth language, you've heard me say that before, I don't know what my first four were but I really struggled through school and rough little area and and, and um, the, the very first time I came to Lakeside through the, those doors, not those doors, the original doors which were terrible, um, I wasn't a Christian, I didn't know Jesus, I had no faith in Jesus but God trusts me, I become a tr- Christian and God says I want you to go to Bible college, no, God trusts me. There was one day when we were in the Gold Coast and um, I was out on this run, doing a run. That's when I used to run. Um, and I was got to about 32 Ks. No, I don't know. It was probably about four Ks. Four Ks in. I started walking. And uh, God just uh, said to me that Anthony... Um, He gave me a scripture to read. It was actually in Timothy where it talks about uh, preach the word faithfully, in season, out season, work hard, that kind of stuff. And God said, you're going to be a senior pastor. You're going to be a senior leader. I'm like, God, I can't be trusted. God trusted me. And I'm sure you've got stories like that as well. God trusts us. Even when we're not trustworthy, God trusts us. And, and, and the confidence of the invitation, I believe, is God saying, I believe in you. I believe in you. You think about the, the stories and the encounters that Jesus has with people. The Samaritan woman. He believes in her. He doesn't leave her where she's at. He's like, you can be so much more than this. The woman caught in adultery. Does he leave her where she's at? Does he say, you're useless, you're hopeless. There's an invitation to come follow me because you are so much more than this. Zacchaeus. Did he leave him up in the tree? No. Follow me, Zacchaeus, because he believes that he's so much more than that. We can go go on and on and on. And maybe your story is like that. God calls you out. I believe in you, he says. And maybe even today, he's saying to you right now that you need to hear him saying, I believe in you. Follow me. There's trust from you, but there's also trust from God. There's trust from Jesus. The confidence of the invitation. I I, I think that that looking at that again, it's hard for us to get our head around that, really, if we were to honestly think about the fact that God trusts us. He's going to give you a task. He's going to give you a role. He's going to give you a lifestyle. He calls us to task. He calls us to a role. And he calls all of us to a lifestyle. and, and, And he trusts us that we would do it. But not only does he trust us with that, he then also equips us. He equips us. He says there's the task, there's a role, there's a lifestyle to follow Jesus, but I'm going to equip you, I'm going to give you what you need. Not necessarily what you want. We don't always get what we want, but Jesus always gives us what we need. Don't always get what we want, but Jesus will always give us what we need. The other thing is, and I think this is, this is false, people say God won't give you more than you can handle. I disagree with that. I, I think sometimes we do get more than we can handle, because if, di- if, if we could handle it, we wouldn't need God, would we? Now, God, God won't give us more than he can handle, but he definitely gives us more than we can handle, and when he does, he's going he's gonna to give us what we need to be able to handle that, and he's going to be with us right beside us, but he, he will give us more than we can handle, I'm sorry. We, we see through scriptures, time and time again, he gives people more than they can handle, and we have to rely on God in that, but He calls us to an invitation. look at 1 kings four twenty nine and, and and this speaks to the things that I've been kind of saying and uh, This was highlighted by this lady in the bible study we 're doing and I, and I think it 's excellent this is uh, if you know anything of the story of Solomon, he becomes the king of Israel and he 's this new leader uh, of this this people. That, the Israelites, and it says this, and God gave. This is in the King James version. Uh, it just says it so well. Um, and God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding, exceeding much. And I love this phrase: "and largeness of heart, even as the sand that is in the sea on the seashore." So, what is he saying? He's he's given Solomon wisdom. He's giving uh, Solomon understanding. He's enlarging his heart to. Uh, to the point where it's, it's so much like the sand on the seashore. Now, when you're reading this, you might be thinking, ah, oh, sand on the seashore, the, like, you know, that's hi- hyperbole, that's exaggerating or making a point that, that there's lots of sand on the sea. You know, when you go to the beach, I hate the sand, by the way. If I had my way, I would cement every beach in Western Australia. But, but it, you go to the beach and there's sand everywhere, isn't there? And, and so you're thinking, oh, he's saying, you know, this is beautiful language of how, how Solomon, God has given Solomon wisdom, like all the sand on the seashore. And understanding, like all the sand, and, and he's given him a heart, for, like all the sand on the seashore. Isn't that beautiful language? But actually, I think something else is going on here. Because look at verse 20 which comes before this, verse 29, if you look up on the screen, it says, uh, next slide, it says, the people of Judah, so this was before verse 29, the people of Judah and Israel were as numerous as what? Read it. They ate, they drank, and were happy. What's going on here? The people of Judah and Israel are as numerous as the sand on the seashore. Now, I don't think it's just words. I actually think what's going on here is God gives Solomon exactly what he what, needs. God gives him what he needed equal to the task. Wisdom. How much wisdom does he need? Well, there's a lot of uh, people in Judah and Israel, numerous as the sand on the seashore. Well, that's what, how much wisdom I'm going to give him equal to what is needed. Understanding, I'm going to give equal to what is needed. Heart, I'm going to give his heart, make his heart big enough for the task that is needed. And when we follow Jesus, we trust Jesus, he trusts us, but he also will give us what we need equal to the task, equal to the role, equal to the way, a life that he has called us to live. I find that incredibly encouraging. I don't know what your situation, your circumstances right now, what tasks you're facing, what role you're in, the life that you're living. Maybe you're feeling overwhelmed. Maybe you are following Jesus and, and you feel, God, I'm trusting you. Be, be reassured that he will give you what is needed for the task, for the role, for the life that he's calling you to live. He won't necessarily give you what you want, but he'll give you what is needed. He'll give you what is needed for the task. Wisdom, understanding and a big heart. Wisdom, understanding and a big heart. Isn't that cool? The two sides of the coin, when we look at this story, that, got, that uh, when it comes to Jesus and trust. The first side is that we trust him, that we follow him. The second side is that God actually trusts us. He trusts us so much, even knowing that we are untrustworthy, even knowing there's going to be times where we break his trust. We don't work like that, do we? We kind of work differently. We, we only trust people eh, if they can be trusted. And, and I get that. We don't necessarily see what people can become. We wait to see what they can become. And then we. God doesn't work like that. He knows what we can become and he's going to trust us with that. We trust God, then he trusts us, then he gives us what we need for the task. Wisdom, understanding, and a big, big heart. Hopefully you have your communion cups there with you as we lead into communion today. Don't open it yet, but just hold it. The Holy Crunch will be coming soon, but just hold on to it now. I don't know if you've heard this poem. This one here is by Max Licato. Various people have have said this in different ways. It says this, If the greatest need had been information, God would have sent an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent us economists. But since our greatest need was forgiveness, God sent us a saviour. Why? Because equal to what we need. God gives to what we need. God gives us what we need. Again, maybe not what we want, but what we need. And because we need a forgiveness, because we need a saviour, that's what God sends. God sends a saviour. So we can open the top and the bottom if you want. Jesus calls us to discipleship to be disciples, to be apprentices. When he's on that beach that 2,000 years ago and he calls those first disciples and he says, follow me, he's calling them to a new identity, a new security, a new way of life. And in many ways, when we partake of this communion, this little wafer in this, that represents his body and this, this juice that represents his blood, we are saying... Yes to the fact that Jesus says, follow me. That invitation is there to everyone. He, he confidently brings that invitation. Come follow me. I trust you. And when we take this, we're saying to God and we're saying to others that, yes, we are following. I do want to follow you, Jesus. I am following you with my identity, with my, in my, my security and in my life. So as we take this this morning... I want us to reflect on that, trusting God, that God trusts us, am I following? Come follow me, listen to the words of Jesus, take the, the wafer in your own time, maybe you just need to confess some sin or just to pray and then we will drink the grape juice together. I'll ask the musos to come on up. Stay, stay with your head bowed. Before we drink... You may have heard this just close your eyes as we before we drink but I just want to read this this is the man that we follow this is the man that said he is the way the truth and the life one solitary life he was born in an obscure village the child of a peasant woman he grew up in another obscure village where he worked in a carpenter shop Till he was 30. He never wrote a book. He never held an office. He never went to college. He never visited a big city. He never travelled more than 200 miles from the place where he was born. He did none of these things, usually associated with greatness. He had no credentials but himself. He was only 33. His friends ran away. One of them denied him. He was turned over to his enemies. He went through the mockery of a trial. He was nailed to a cross between two thieves. While dying, his executioners gambled for his clothing, the only property he had on earth. When he was dead, he, lay, he was laid in a borrowed grave through the pity of a friend. It says 19th centuries, 20 centuries have come and gone. And today Jesus is the central figure of the human race and the, and the leader of mankind's progress all the armies that have ever marched, all the navies that have ever sailed, all the parliaments that have ever sat, all the kings that have ever reigned, put together, have not affected the life of mankind on earth as powerfully as the one solitary life, which is Jesus. Jesus says, come follow me, let's drink together. Most gracious Father, we thank you that you send your son, Jesus. We thank you for the sacrifice that he paid by dying on the cross. We thank you for the victory that he has when he rose three days later. Father, we thank you for the invitation to come and follow. Father, I pray that we would be people who follow you. That we would be people who daily drop our own nets to come follow you that we would put our security in you, that we'd place our identity in you and that our lives would look like you and become like you. Father, we thank you that not only do you want us to put trust in you, that you trust us to use our talents, to use our treasures, to use our time, to serve you, to follow you, to share the gospel, to, to live the gospel. Thank you, Father.